Bold City Longsword presents the Swords and Stereo Podcast. Welcome to Swords and Stereo. I'm Matthew Stinson. Johan Lopez. And we have some guests today. Please introduce yourself. Um, Walker Skaggs of Rocket City HEMA. Jared Anderson, assistant instructor at Rocket City HEMA. Jacob Sharp, student at Rocket City HEMA. Awesome, guys. So I brought y'all in here because I follow you on Facebook, and you're one of the uh, only groups I see with a large harness class. Um, So tell me what you did to get that program up and going. Well, so for me... um... I've been doing HEMA for about 10 years now. I think I just passed my decade a little bit ago. Uh, Armor was always part of the longsword curriculum where I studied at Virginia Academy of Fencing. And I, of course, went through the same half-sword stuff that pretty much everybody does when they study it. But I didn't actually get the opportunity to wear armor completely until WMAW about three or four years ago now. Um, and just because I'm a tall, skinny guy. And so the odds of running into another tall, skinny guy who doesn't care that much about his armor and will put it on some poor kid, uh, doesn't come up that much, but I got the opportunity to wear it and fight it. And I was like, yeah, this is pretty awesome. Um, so immediately I tried to bring it back to the school and make it more accessible as much as possible so that my guys could get that benefit way before I did. I mean, I knew the moves, but armor is its own skill that needs to be rigorously trained on its own. Um, and it's, 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 it's tough. And you can attest to yeah, it, Jared. And, and Walker's done an excellent job of making it accessible, to be quite honest, because I never would have tried this stuff if it was not for the fact that sitting in the corner of our school every day is some loner breastplates. And that's all you need to get into it and try it throw on a breastplate and realize how much that changes of your fencing and your target area. Right. So that's been very successful from my perspective. So you, you just put a steel breastplate over your normal HEMA gear? Pretty much. Um, I mean, there's there's a whole like rule set and stuff that I got introduced thanks to um, who got me into armor, which was, of course, I you know I learned from my coaches like Bill Grandy, David Rao, etc. back at BAF, but the guy who really kind of got me into armor because fit his armor, was Stan Roberts, um, who now is over with uh, Ritterkunstfectual in, in Atlanta. Um, he, he, he's he been doing armor basically as long as I've been doing fencing. And thanks to him, I met people like Scott Wilson at Darkwood Armory and other kind of, you know, on the border SCA people, I would say. Um, and that's not to disparage at all. It, it's people who, you know, they, they'll, they'll interact with both communities. And because of that, you know, I got introduced to this like armor as worn rule set where the idea in, in Scott's words was everyone can play. You know, if, if you're wearing protective gear, that's protective gear. If you're wearing protective gear and part of it is like a gamison that is sufficiently historically padded, absolutely. We'll count that as a gamison. It's armor as worn. And so the first time that I got to wear it in like a melee, I just slapped a male shirt on over my fencing gear and regretted it later when I had to clean it. But, um, you know, I just slapped it on and just layered up from there. And now, um, Jacob here, who's kind of my main squire, because I guess he doesn't hate me that much. Um, he's, he's been kind of building his harness as we've been going. So you might, you might have a little more insight there. 
Yeah, um, I started uh, with just loaner gear, essentially, as far as, uh, you know, breastplate, gauntlets, helmets, uh, you know, because we had a lot of pieces just in the school. Um, or some, some people like, oh, I got this, you know, cheap piece from wherever. It doesn't fit me. Maybe it fits you. And, you know, oh, Jake, Jake Webster, Webster's uh, shins fit me. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, you were, you can have them. They weren't, the, they weren't that expensive. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's like I kind of said, oh, I like this piece. I like this piece. Might want to change this. And eventually I just kind of go and build up my own based on just what I, you know, borrowed. And I think that's that's really what kind of benefits to it and reverse getting into it. Because, I mean, you look at it and you're like, I got to buy so much stuff. And, yeah. you know, furthermore, all the pictures on the website, they show the nice shiny armor. They don't show the clothes underneath that you need to wear the armor, which is its own separate expense. Um, but, you know, when you're just layering stuff on top of your, your normal sparring gear, it's like, okay, it's just what I normally do plus something. Um, and I think that helps a lot because... Spending time, I mean, I obviously didn't go out and get an amazing set. I borrowed, begged, and stole gear as long as I could, like we all do. Um, but having a good long time of like, okay, I like this configuration. Or like, I didn't buy leg harness for probably about a solid year of fighting. And then I got, frankly, stabbed in the dick six times in one day. And I'm like, you know what? I think I need legs. <laughs> and just layer up as it goes. Yeah, my... uh the harness, I mean, really to get into it, I mean, if you want harness to fight in, you really just need, you know, you can get a Gambison. I think mine was like $100. Yeah, you got a more um, historically patterned Gambison, though. If you don't care too much about yours, like you got one of the APs or something like that, it doesn't show yeah, at all. Yeah, uh, the breastplate. And it's a, one of the nicer breastplates, I think. Yeah, it uh, was like 120 um, how about the gauntlets? I want to say they're or, not that bad. And they're yeah, I mean they're nice like gothic gauntlets. Surprisingly, yeah. Nice. I mean you don't have to go that expensive if you just want to, you know, get a kit. Um, and then a lot of our practice is done in uh, the fencing mask. Yeah, and that and that might be the main benefit of the armor of swarm rule set that Walker talked about earlier. Is honestly you don't have to hold, own full harness before you start sparring mm-hmm. in this stuff. You can buy two or three pieces and just go at it with anybody. Um, it's really interesting. Whatever level of armor you're wearing, you learn different things. I have had experience fencing just a gambeson against a full armored knight, and it's terrifying, but it teaches you a lot. So, so before you started your harness program, uh, what did you do to get your curriculum ready? A uh, big part of it was, of course, you know, kind of running the gauntlet of like, okay. In, you know, every, every every human person does some half sword and stuff like that. I'm like, I, I know armor. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, we don't. Um, it's it's its own separate skill. I mean, learning learning the move sets out of you know skull gladiatoria out of out of um, you know all the, the armor section of von Danzig, etc. You you get an idea for the moves, and you can even employ the armored concepts in regular sparring. Anytime you go to half sword, you're basically learning armor skill. Anytime you wrestle, you're basically learning armor skill, especially when there's a weapon involved. But the biggest thing, in my opinion, about getting truly into harness is that it's, it's sustained weightlifting. Um, I mean, even if you get a set that fits you very, very well, which one day when I'm living in a shoebox, I'll own that. Um, <laughs> it, it still is challenging on your body. It is still very much asking a lot of you. And then you need to be able to perform these moves you already know. So, like, learn the moves out of harness, 
learn to learn to wear a harness and then learn to do the moves in harness is kind of its own skill set. And then Jacob here, especially, has been working with me as my squire specifically, which mostly just means he's in a little less harness than I am and, and learns how to put me in my stuff. Uh, if you want to talk some more about that. Uh, yeah, um, it's uh, we gear up um, right before. Uh, and uh, usually there's kind of a process. I'll put something on. He puts something on, you know, he'll get me into my breastplate and then I help him get on his, uh, you know, his collar or his, uh, his, uh, rig. You can call it the prom dress. We all know your thing. Okay. Man. Yeah. Yeah. These are all euphemisms. <laughs> um, but, uh, it, you know, and a lot of the time it's different, you know, the leather changes, but you kind of get a methodology down to, Oh, this is how I'm going to get my knight into their harness. Um, for example, on Walker, um, one, he's skinny, so I know on, on the brig, oh, I can tighten that down all the way. But because of the le- the leather changing just length, um, depending on the humidity or whatever, um, I usually will just get it on. I'll get it in the first hole, and then I tighten it down as much as I can. Yeah, and it's it's really important to actually practice that, right? This is part of a curriculum thing, right? You can't just blow off gearing up time because maybe you only have an hour or two to practice armor. Well... If you don't spend some of that time practicing gearing up, you're wasting half that time and just that, putting this stuff on. It yeah, takes practice. That was something that I learned by going out into the world. Because the best way to learn to be a knight is to be a squire, you know. And the biggest benefit that I unintentionally stumbled into was that I have no sense of personal space and was like, hey, you want to get in your armor? I'll come help you. Um, so, you know, there I am crouching down trying to tie leg harness onto some dude that i like met him two seconds ago this is getting really weird but anyway the point is that i got to see so much harness up close and see the different configurations people were wearing right and on top of that you know i was like oh what's this piece do how does this piece attach how do you modify this i got to see a lot of that at the squire level and just by helping people get into harness it was it was informative so then when i put my stuff on i was like hey you know, can you do this thing? Can you do this thing? Like the the one that blew my mind. I was standing in line one day for lunch at an armored event, and my arm harness was hanging down a little loose. And um, Ben, uh, a recent Ben from Pursuing the Nightly Arts, and if you don't watch them, you should. They're amazing. Uh, he just kind of went, your arm's okay? I was like, ah, my arm harness is kind of bothering me a little bit. And he just walked over, didn't say a word, undid the tie of my point, crossed it over itself like the beginning of a shoelace, and cinched it up super tight then retied it. I'd never done that before. And it was like, Oh my God. Um, you know, and made eating the freaking sloppy Joe way easier. Speaking of which, if you're ever hosting an army event, army armor, don't feed us sloppy Joe's. We can barely reach our mouth. As it is. But those little like things you don't learn until you're in the field were instrumental. So that way, when I'm, I'm armoring up my guys, because of course I've got to be the one to explain them how it goes. It's like, these are little tips and tricks that you can do to make it more comfortable. And on top of that, fighting as many people as I could in as many different situations as I could. And the armor community in particular, just, just like HEMA, but you know, a little in a different context is very accepting of like, Oh, you're literally just wearing a male shirt and that's all. We'll accommodate that. I'll treat you as though you're fully armored. I'll give you that same experience. Um, and that layers up and layers down. And I went through about, Probably as, as I was kind of trying to bring it back to the school because I'm, I'm impatient, I went for about two solid years before I was really confident. It's like, yeah, I think I know harness now that I can continue to practice on my own and really give it to my guys. 
So speaking of putting the harness on, are are y'all focusing on a certain time period or a certain type of armor? Or uh, Walker's the expert on. This. Well, <laughs> expert might be a bit of a, a stretch. Um, this could be a rabbit hole. I I was gonna say I am I am a journeyman at best, and I'm I'm perfectly okay with that. I mean, if you want real like serious professionalism you know you got to go to the people that aren't me you got to go to the people that i'm talking to when they'll accept me talking to them um and that's not to speak real of them it's just i always feel like i'm bothering them um but yeah like you know bob charette reese and ben um the, all the researchers that you sort of meet uh, De- dr Daniel chaquet you know who wore his armor on the flight over to WAW. Um, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, hey, that stuff is important. I'm not putting it through TSA. Um, you know, these are the people that can really tell you, like, the deep, deep levels, the deep, you know, stuff like that. Stan Roberts, like, I got me into it. And I'll still, like, text him much, like, hey, Stan, what's this thing? When did this thing come up? How do you pronounce this in French? Um, and thing, things like that. But in regards to, like, what we go for, because... Rocket City Hema in particular studies three main traditions. You know, we go from uh, Fiore and, and Ligtenauer, which, you know, tree is relatively contemporary, um, through into the Italian rapier tradition, hence we're here at Rasp, mm-hmm. um, and then over into, you know, Scottish backsword. Um, it, we cover quite a bit, and because of that, I expect my guys to kind of eventually find a time period that interests them and, and branch out into the beautiful fencing butterflies they are. Um, and so, really, the only limiting factor, I would say, is what the uh, the Decoven um, Concord sets out. And this is something that I didn't even know existed, right? Um, for those of you who may not know of it, um, WW, the Western Martial Arts Workshop, is kind of, you know, it's, it's sword college. It's, it's frankly sword college. And if you could make the, I would describe it as a pilgrimage to WW at some point in your HEMA career, it's worth it. Um, but there is a major, like, proper deed there. And a, a thing that they made as part of that is the Decoven Concord, which was a set of unified rules for playing in armor. Um, and they they set the standard at, I think it's 1350 to 1600 is where's the acceptable margin, because anything beyond that is either, you know, too limited of gear to really be harness effective as we know it, or too late of period to, frankly, be affordable or fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, like Jacob here, he's he's kind of wearing whatever I give him. But, you know, Jarrett here is much more interested in later stuff. I mean, your perspective on it would be pretty interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm still a rank amateur as far as, like, historicity of armor. I'll still look at some things and stuff and go, is this cool? And then Walker will have to shut me down. <laughs> Honestly, my taste in armor extends about as far as, like, how heavy is this? It's like, can I save some weight? by ditching some of the mail, and it turns out that's what later periods does. They'll lose some of the mail underneath their much better plate armor, and then they'll maybe wear some voiders on their uh, arms and stuff. And if that's the only reason it interests me, well, so be it. Maybe that's where I start off, and then I develop a more uh, <clears throat> deeper appreciation for a certain period later on, but, you know, it is what it is. So you talked about the sources you train. So what weapon sets do you actually use while you're training in your harness class? A, a couple of different ones. Yeah. Um, so a, a good a good thing is that I actually have tried and failed to make a proper armor class. I should, I should point that out because <laughs> um, as, as Jarrett said, and, and as definitely Jacob can attest to, 
Um, getting people into armor in any sort of good time takes serious practice and serious knowledge of the person you're working for. Mm -hmm. I mean, you'd think that buckles and straps and points wouldn't be necessarily that hard, but there's a lot of just, you've got to have felt it to understand it, to, to kind of make the person comfortable. Cause if it's not that whole practice, you're like, I mean, it's basically akin to like having your shoelace untied and, you know, but now your shoelace is like 40 pounds. Um, it's like, oh, you know, I'm not thinking about the action I'm doing. I'm thinking about the fact my shoelace is untied. Yeah. yeah. Your, uh, your arm, arm harness oh makes God. like a, almost when it's like cinched up tight. Yeah. So I can like hear it and feel it. Through right. the, like little things that he only gets yeah. because he's put it on me several times. And yeah. so, you know, I tried to have an armored class and Jared, and you, you attended for a little bit. And time is the serious issue with that, right? Cause you have to gear up, you have to fence. You have about 20 minutes of fencing before you're like, man, I'm already gassed. Mm-hmm. You fence through some of that. You're like, man, I'm even more gassed now. Probably time to stop because our quality time has ended. And then you gear down and you're already 20 minutes over your class period. Uh, so while that was a very interesting experience, and I enjoyed it a lot. I don't think that was the most efficient way to teach armor. And Walker's come up with something a little bit better more recently that I've not experienced because I'm not... Uh, wealthy enough to be involved in this. <laughs> I really yeah. just need to chain you to something yeah, so I can exploit all Absolutely. the things. But yeah, I mean, like my original armor class, I tried to block it out into yeah. like two hours. I figured two hours is enough time. Yeah. At least 30 to 45 minutes of gearing up because right. armor is hard. Like drilling yeah, armor is harder than fighting armor. Mm, I mean, yeah. anyone who's done like having to hold position for long periods of time can attest to that right now. Oh, God, armor just makes it so much harder. Yeah, and you think two hours is enough, and you're wrong. No, you're completely wrong. I mean, by the time you get into all your stuff, get everything situated, you know, everyone's already exhausted because you're, you're lifting weight the whole time. Right. You know, even sitting down. There, there's a wonderful picture of, I think it's Tobias Capwell in his jousting harness, and he's trying to sit in what is essentially a medieval lawn chair, but because his helmet, a frogmouth helmet, is hooked to his breastplate, he can't hinge at all, so he's laying at like a right angle um, against the, against this backstop. And if he tips too far backward, he'll fall over. If he tries to sit up, the weight comes back down. It's this wonderful picture. But the point being, you know, there there is no rest. There is break, but no rest. And you know, my guys, I'd put them through this, and I tried. I was like, okay, if we do less armor, they're not quite getting it. It just turns into something else. If I do more armor, they're too tired. So I dropped that um, a while back. And then the new program that I went for is a little less formal. And I think because it's a little less formal and a little bit more akin to what tradition, a living tradition would have been, that helped significantly. The new idea is um, I call it a Squire and Ritter program. Um, Ritter just because I hate saying night all the time. Um the idea was that if you are of Ritter-worthy harness, um, and that could mean a couple different things. That could mean you just own enough pieces. That could mean that you have the experience, and which is the case for most of my guys right now. We've got about five people that have the most armor, um, and including myself. And it's like, okay, you, you guys have either bought an armor in an event, and you get it, or you have enough armor that and experience that you also get it, right? And I had... I reached out to interested parties. It's like, hey, do you think this is cool? You have a little bit of armor. Do you want to pursue this? And we had a day where basically we did like the NFL draft. It was like, who wants what squire? Which really came down to who lives closest to each other. Um, you know, and Jacob lives just down the hill. 
Um, and Jared sadly wasn't involved with this, though. God, I'd love you as a squire. Maybe someday. <laughs> someday. If, nothing, if nothing else, just because of your funny commentary. Um, <laughs> sure. But the idea being that I gave them training goals. It was like the, the current training goal is you need to be doing two practices a week. And this, this isn't going to last forever. This is, this is, we gave ourselves a benchmark goal of an event we maybe go to. And we've been doing it for now for about a couple months. And the idea was, okay, we're going to work up to this and see where we are. We're the beta test. And so I give them training goals with a couple different weapons. Guys, I will link back to your question. I'm not just going down a rabbit hole. I promise I'm not crazy. Um, but the idea is you have to do two practices and you have to make two miles in armor every week. Which isn't that bad. In Huntsville, Alabama. In Huntsville, Alabama. I mean, don't <laughs> get me wrong. It's, it's, maybe I'm a little bit crazy. Um, and the heat is definitely something to consider. Uh, you know, you, you fall with it mostly in, like indoors. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, outdoors you can still find shade. Reasonably. We have hills. We have trees. Yeah, it's not it's, that bad. It's, we're it's not, not suicide, okay? <laughs> we're not killing our students. <laughs> it's not Florida. I, I don't <laughs> um, no, just go fight a go fight a gator and pretend you're St. George. But you know, you know, Jacob, you can attest to like how we level up for the heat and things like that. Yeah. Um. I mean, one thing is kind of just we look at the forecast. Um. We usually do the armor hike in the morning, uh, about nine. Yeah. Yep. Um. We have tree cover most of the way. Um, cause we, we live on a mountain. Um, but, uh, there we gear up. Um, we don't go usually in full harness. There's no, no helmet, no gauntlets. Yeah. Just the idea, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, very, we take breaks. Um, even if we're making good time, it's like, okay, we stop at this break every time, you know, we stop here, we drink water. Uh, so even in the heat, you know, when it's hitting 80 degrees, we're in armor, we're hiking, it's still doable. Uh, but a lot of it is just don't be stupid, be yeah. responsible, um, hydrate, get your carbs in beforehand. Um, I bring a water, but two water bottles, two protein bars every time. Yeah. So we, we, you know, we refill, uh, we hydrate and get protein and everything back in our bodies. Because uh, it's, it's a workout. It really is. Um, I do think overall, like really hard drilling in armor is significantly harder than hiking because once you get in the rhythm of hiking, for me, it was like, okay, first five minutes, just breathe. You know, you get kind of into that, the rhythm of the breathing. And then once you're good with that, you can just go, go, go. Um, Yeah. And so honestly, hiking in armor is probably a good first start before you ever touch a weapon. But eventually, someday you will be handed a spear and that's where we actually start fencing with the weapons. Yeah. Which and, is, and which is more what I did back before the night inspired. Yeah. Started off, I could stay indoor and drill with weapons. And that was fun enough, but yeah, go ahead. What, what I basically learned, I mean, this is true of anyone trying to do HEMA either as a business or if you're just trying to keep your friends from not getting distracted by something else. So they keep playing swords with you in the backyard. It's like, hmm. No one wants to hear the history lesson. I mean, some people do, but those people still think yeah. the swords are cool yeah. and they want to see yeah. swish, swish, and those, stab. those people stay after hours for the history. Exactly. Um, so it was, it was like, okay, I need to, I need to focus on like a source. I need to focus on practical knowledge. But the majority of armor training, like I said, learn the moves out of armor. You know, um, I, I was surprised the first time I bought an armor as to how much I had retained because. We'd never worn, we didn't even have like breastplates over our gear back when I first learned. It just wasn't economically feasible back then. Yeah. Um, it, 
it was just something no one did. And so because of that, I was like, okay, well, this is this is how we fight an armor. This is cool. You know, this is how we use the poleaxe. This is cool. I'm never going to spar with that, you know, because I can just do other things. But when I was in the armor, I was like, oh, God, this is all I have. Um, and it all just rushed back. And so, you know, really the effectiveness, I would say, is that if you want to train harness, training armor is the separate skill. Being able to sustain that weight, to wear that weight, and then also to understand how to basically make yourself a guard, if that makes sense. Like, when you stand in armor, it's not just, you know, I take these positions, or postos if you're Italian. It's, it's not that. I mean, those matter, without a doubt, and they have properties that you can, you can talk about. But the biggest thing is how you physically stand in armor. Do you stand square? Do you stand profiled? Where do you make them target? Where are your weak spots? Because you don't need to worry about the majority of yourself. You need to make them zero in on a certain part of yourself and then just deny it. The same way we deny any opening. It's, it's that exact same lesson, just now entirely incorporated into your body. And so the, the sources do kind of mention that here and there. You know, some things will mention, like, you know, Fiore talks all the time about lifting visors. Or, or he even mentions, like, if they have a visor, go for a different target. And, you know... Every, every armor source pretty much recommends you look at the other person's harness and kind of form a game plan as much as you can, the same way that we profile each other at tournament. Um, and go ahead, you're, you're right. Yeah, and even if, if you're training for armor but don't have armor on yet, and you cannot look at your opponent and go, well, where is openings? Just go for the armpit. Yeah. Right? yeah. Grab yourself a spear. Learn to hit someone in the armpit. Imagine there are no other openings. Okay, learn a parry. And learn to thrust the armpit. Great, you've done that. All right, put the spear down, grab yourself a long sword, half sword that thing, and learn to hit the armpit again. Right? If you've done those two things, you are well on your way to being able to fight in armor. It's 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 simple, really. Yeah. I mean, and, and and that was the thing, like, and Jacob can attest to this. I, I talk to him about this all the time because he's he can really attest to, this, to the, the sources and lessons. I mean, I mentioned techniques from different places, but we're not following the source as part of our study and and each of my teams like i said i gave them relatively free reign which was a bit of an experiment on part and i think it's a success i told them to meet these goals with certain weapons like we started off the daggers are always on you because yes. daggers are always going to yes. be on you and i encourage them to pull them on each other at random yep. um the but we started off with sword and then we've been working up through spear and then uh starting this right halfway through this month we'll start tackling axe um and the idea behind that was that, you know, you learn the sword and you learn, you know, it, it's really not too dissimilar from spear, but axe is like kind of out of left field. The dagger's always there, though, because just moving in is always an option. And some people's strategy hinges a lot on that. But, you know, Jacob can probably attest to, I don't necessarily mention, we're not following a source directly. Some other teams may be doing that, and that's perfectly okay. If you like a source or you are trying to zero yourself in on a certain tradition, absolutely go that living history route stick to it i applaud you but you know it's not necessarily the only way to go yeah um you know all the techniques are fairly straightforward um we have a few drills that we use for them um the one at least the one i like the most is called the that i think has been the most helpful we call a spear and magic helmet spear and magic helmet yeah but essentially you have sword uh you're in flu you thrust um, the opponent parries, you wind up to avoid the parry. And uh, if they, um, when they go, you, uh, you zook in. 
didn't explain that great, but no, you explained yeah. that. Part. I mean, yeah, yeah. we're, we're, well, we're once talking to people that know the terminology. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 you get what I'm saying. Yeah, so it's it's really have sort of really in that sense is it a whole lot different than just regular long sword. Yep. Um, but you know, even more than in regular fencing, it's very hard to set up exact plays. Um, it at least for me, it's been like okay, yeah, this is all about feeling every everything out and just constantly adapting to the situation. Um, so, and obviously you're going to finish with one of those techniques, but that alone only gets you so far. Another drill we do is uh, called double-bitted stick. And it's essentially, you are both in a bind, um, kind of making an X with your swords. And the goal is to essentially feel what the opponent is doing. And you use that feeling to try and set up hits on it. And a lot of that uh, is more uh, what I would say armor feels like. It's all about feeling it out and changing and trying to use your opponent's direct, you know, the, the their energy against them, I suppose is how I'd put it, uh, rather than like very defined uh, plays or techniques. And the, the good reason behind that, and I should also point out like all those drills you just made, like Spear and Magic Helmet, I learned, like the name, I even took the name from Jess Finley did a class at Queen's Gambit, I want to say, where it was just like, hey, you've never done armor before? Here are some techniques to learn armor. And I believe she went mostly out of Danzig for those. But either way, it was just simple things. And I did that class when I was still just a schmuck in a gambeson and a borrowed helmet. And I was like, this is great. I'm going to keep this. And I still have the pamphlet. Um, but then double-bitted stick is something that like Bob Charette, um, if you don't know who Bob Charette is, he's amazing. Um, it's It's... They, they've been doing that forever. It's these armor tricks that we don't get exposed to, these training games that you, you come to a seminar like RASP to learn. You go out to something like Chivalric Art Symposium or C7, and you see these games, you learn these games in kind of the same way, though it's, it's not got quite the same instructor focus, and I hope it does in the future. Um, but the, the idea of, like, there is no defined technique, I mean, yeah, kind of, honestly. I mean, armor is... You know how, like, when you fence bluffs, if you aren't adhering to some sort of technique, you're probably going to die in a probably pretty embarrassing way. Armor is, like, the opposite of that. It's kind of hard to accidentally die. There's so much of you covered. But just because of that, it also makes it hard to accidentally kill someone. Um, you know, you can't really just score a hit through luck. I mean, well, you can. Most... and. Uh, spoiler, if you want to score an accidental hit by luck, all you got to do is aim at about crotch level. Um, <laughs> this is true. This but, is true. but it's it's the idea of you you have a lot more time than you think you do. I mean, most of our plays in any system, long survey or whatever, they do not last that long in practicality. In drill, you can stretch them out, but in reality, it's bop, 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 and someone has been determined the winner, usually by the second bop. In armor, it'll be technique, counter-technique. Both have failed, and then now it's into double-bitted stick. It's into that crunch, and then someone either decides to go forward or someone decides to pull back, but even then, the distance is so much closer. It's it's a bit like when like lions or narwhals fight. They're just up against yeah. each other, just kind of rolling yeah. off each other. That you can easily go five full seconds where no one's doing much footwork, but there's a very serious fight for control going on. Right, and it, it takes a while. 
Can you talk about some of the safety concerns about, about yeah. wrestling and <laughs> wrestling to falling? Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, like what I just described, I was like, oh god, I don't want to do armor. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the nice thing about armor, well, okay, let me let me try that again. The double <laughs> the double edged sword about armor. Yeah. Let me go ahead and put that pun yeah. on the podcast. Is um, <laughs> on the one hand, you are arguably safer than you've ever been before from physical harm. On the other hand, everything you're doing is avoiding that safety. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. And so basically what it is, is number one, I highly recommend, of course, there's always going to be, you know, gauging. There's always going to be power control. There's always going to be, and I cannot recommend this enough, work with a simpler material. Um, you know, a lot of people will, will want to use their swords they use normally. Do not use a veteran armor. It's not that it won't work. It's that, frankly, the armor will probably end up snapping the fetter because it will get in point and then flex and then break. Yeah. Um, use like nylons, synthetic weapons, those ones that you had like, you know, back in like 2015 HEMA that no one touches anymore. Break them out. They're fantastic for this because you don't care if they get scarfed up. They've got just enough stiffness to get the job done. And they're safe for that reason. They won't snap. Um, I mean, we use the wooden trainers that my father and I carved when we, when I first opened my school, you know, those were just sitting around gathering dust, but they're stiff. They won't flex. And so they're, they're just the same as training with any pole arm, basically. Uh, same with the spear trainers and all of that. It's, it's all the weapons are usually of the more synthetic material. Not that you won't use steel if you ever do go into like doing proper deeds of arms, but those are armor specific weapons that preferably somebody else owns. So I don't feel broken hearted about it when something horrible happens. But beyond that safety wise, a lot of control. It's uh, it's a lot of, you know, taking your time and understanding what you're fighting. And then as well, like I said, I didn't buy leg arms for a while because one can stab in the leg. Then I was suddenly getting stabbed in the leg and that really sucked. Um, layering up whatever area you're going to be working on that day um i mean like you can you can attest you can both attest to like you know what you wanted to put on for whatever practice you were doing right yeah it uh, it varies depending on how you feel um i have not actually i'm going to probably in the armor hike if the weather is not too hot um <laughs> i'm gonna wear my mail and my breastplate yep um and my elbows and my shins so everything but my gauntlets and my my helmet um, but, you know, it's one of those things you wake up, okay, how am I feeling? Uh, what do I want to train today? Because uh, sometimes, like, we did the, the poor infantryman. Yeah. yeah poor it's inf like, you know what? It's really hot. I'm just going to wear just the gambeson. He's going to wear, you know, a higher level, but not a full. And we're just going to see what that's like. Uh, so, you know, it changes. Um, the main thing is just consistent practice. Do you normally train on grass? Sometimes, um, I mean, grass feels best. Honestly, um, it's it's way more comfortable, especially if you're wearing historical shoes, because um, then you slip inside a little bit less. But though I still I still do believe there are two like gouge marks in a field in Kansas where my big toe dug into the ground to prevent me from falling over. Um, grass is preferable if you can, not required in the slightest. I mean, you can train in the school on the floor. That's what Jared did, um, or. What, me and uh, Jacob train either in my driveway um, or we have a lot of backyard and we'll train in there. But the biggest thing is that if you're going to train in your school, something to consider that I would like to eventually get to the point with our school. Like once once our Squire Ritter program advances a little bit further, I'll start, you know, kind of bringing people back into the school and maybe have like, you know, 
a once a month, everyone comes together and does something. Um, You will probably want what my old school, the VAF did, which is they had rolls of just like cheap carpet that they roll out over the floor because, you know, when you fall over covered in metal, you tend to scratch whatever floor you're on. Yeah. Do you, do you break fall different than when you're not in armor? Sort of. I was yeah, going to say. We should, we should probably talk about dagger and falling at this point. Yeah. Because that's the big question on that, everybody's mind. It's like, how do you do that safely? Because we've all seen the armor plates, right? Like the, the highest and most effective way to kill somebody in armor is to knock them over. Because at that point, they're completely helpless. And then you just get your dagger and take your sweet time and kind of stick it in there wherever it fits. Uh, doing that safely is not easy. Uh, wrestling in armor safely is not easy, um, but I believe there's ways to do it correctly. I've done a very limited amount of it, but it has been a long time. So, yeah, um, basically what it is, and this also adds in the extra safety stuff. Like you know, all the helmets are required to have perp light in the eye slits. Um, and oh God, you do not need to Google that much to find examples of like poor reenactors who just got on. No, no, um, no, it's it's don't, don't, don't it's unfortunate. That, it's it's just you know. It's a thing to consider if you want to read into the history of that. There's, as in just like, you know, what a point can do. It's terrifying. Um, but, you know, perf plate in the eye slits. Um, a lot of times when I've been to Deeds, they'll do what I call, well, what they call the pencil test, where they'll take like a pencil and they'll stick it in any gap they can find in your helmet. And if the pencil goes in, no dice. Um, you know, the armored swords are, of course, like they've got a thrust tip on them usually. Or the Jesse Belsky... Um, Morgeslog swords, which are awesome, by the way, uh, they have like a swelled tip, so they can't go into anything. Right. Um, but, you know, you, they, they check that stuff to make sure. And that's why, you know, like Salette, separate Bever and Salette is frankly not adequate for what we're doing. Absolutely convenient. Absolutely. If the world ended tomorrow, I'd probably wear that, con- that convenience, especially in Huntsville, Alabama. But just not safe enough for our modern standard. And people will get... It's a fine line to walk between. I'm trying to do historical, but we have to be safe. You think yeah, you have yeah, and, you know, at a bare minimum, the daggers you're using can be rubber. That's so totally yeah, no big totally. deal. That makes all that safe, no problem. That said, wrestling is always going to pose a problem, no matter always. what you do. And so we've trained a fair amount of wrestling at RCH. It's one of the nicest things about attending here. And I very frequently am told, "Hey, here's how you're going to modify this wrestling technique." Because you don't want to hurt your opponent, whether that's just boss gear like tourney gear, even then you have a fencing mask, you have some arm plates, you've got some weird stuff on your legs that you don't want to get caught on things. But that extends to armor in very similar ways, where it makes you heavier. There's weird things sticking off of you that you don't want to get caught on things. But that doesn't mean you can't wrestle. There are ways to modify these techniques. You don't have to go as deep. You know, lock your hips into somebody else's hips because it's much easier to off balance somebody. You maybe only have to put your foot in there to kind of get them to start falling over. And at that point, you can just back up and let them fall over because they're going to completely fall themselves. Uh, one of the things that I think has been really useful about the Square and Ritter program, in particular, as opposed to like a group class, mm. has been the fact that um, just for safety reasons, you've got the same two people training and fighting together. Yeah. And so you get to the point where you can kind of feel things out without, you know, talk without actually talking. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, like, my first day, I, like, uh, we were doing double with his stick, and I really just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <you> did. <laughs> and he was, Walker was not happy. He took it, and he just, you know, I had a helmet on, but he just had a mask. 
Yeah. He's cracked me on the head and don't ever do that again, right. you know, but he established like a very clear boundary. Yeah. That's too hard, you know, when we're doing this kind of thing. But as you, as you, you know, uh, you keep going, um, you get to the point where like when we do free play it, a couple times it actually, um, just cause we're kind of listening to each other. It naturally escalates to like a real confrontation almost like, uh, yeah. there was that Wednesday where like it literally ended with you like, grabbing me and like screaming and stabbing me but it was fine i assure you it was all okay i was very excited yeah it was uh that was our hardest i think still that's probably the hardest one we've done yeah maybe um and you know from from the training that i got i went to c7 again if you want to do armor go to c7 um or wmaw if you can do that um there was one class that we did it was in a field in kansas we spent two hours just falling over which by the way that is the most hilarious thing to walk around a corner and see (laughs) Um, especially everyone sitting around cleaning all the grass off afterwards. But the whole point of it, like to actually like feel the break fall. If you're someone who has done wrestling before, you know how a break fall works. Um, and if you haven't done wrestling before and think you know how a break fall works, why don't you go look at that again? Um, in tournament gear, because of course everyone does a little bit of ring and arch, but you know, in that you of course now accommodate for the fact that your head is slightly heavier, your gear may get caught, you you can't feel things quite as much. Armor is that more so, but now you have like a five-year-old sitting on your head. (laughs) The biggest thing to be aware of when you fall over in armor is, number one, the throws are, I don't want to say gentler, because they're not, but the actual torque is less so, at least in what I have experienced, because of course, you know, we're never going 100%. No one should ever be going 100%, because we're not trying to kill each other. But, you know, like, comfring and throws are like Jarrett said, they're very simplistic almost. They're they're you know not you don't have to put all you normally have to put in to throw someone who can just squirm out of it, you know, without armor. You just have to get them going. Right. And as soon as you get that, they mostly just kind of fall on their own. But when you're in the armor, number one, you get kind of this rush of air. You get no perception of what you're about to fall onto, which is disconcerting. Um you lose a lot of sensation because you'll hit and uh, there's if you want to hear about this, like, you know, talking to people who do jousting on any level, they can attest to, you know, falling off a horse is no joke. It's like bailing out of a car, you know, but they have learned because of their armor. It's like, you know, it's not that bad. It's just like parachuting, you know, parachuting and landing on the ground sounds really freaking ridiculous if you're explaining to someone who doesn't understand the technique. But if you know what you're supposed to do, not so bad. Falling in armor is like that, you know, you're you're falling toward the ground, there's a rush of air, you have no sensory perception at all, no touch, no distance, because you've lost that visual reception, Um, and then suddenly you've hit the ground. And the biggest thing about it is to, you know, if if anyone's done a judo or or ring-in where they emphasize the curling the chin in as much as possible, um, and developing that nice, thick, meaty wrestling neck, um, it's that, but a little more, because the weight is now way heavier than you're used to. And if you can't dissuade that in some way, that helmet will pull your head back. And so I spent, you know, like I said, two hours in a field in Kansas with a bunch of people who knew what they were doing, learning just those little weight differences to adapt to. And honestly, the more exhausting part was getting back up. Like falling down, that's easy. We can do that all day. Getting up like 10 times in armor is a Herculean effort. And then, you know, Scott Wilson walks by and goes and just does a dive roll in his full armor and just pops up to his feet. He's like, that's not fair. That's not fair. 
Are there additional safety concerns when weapons are involved for falling? Sort of. I mean, in Lost Gear, the, of course, the most scary thing that can happen is that, like, a blade snaps, obviously, and becomes a real sword. Um, or, like, you land on a cross guard. Oh, or, or a nagel. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, nagels. Um, you know, things along those lines are the biggest scares. With armor, you have a lot more safety in that regard. Like, if you land on a rock, you're probably not even going to notice the rock was there. Um, it's, it's armor does its job. But the additional safety concern in regards to the weapons is more so in regards to once it's out of your vision, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Like the first, and this is only if you're training in a full helmet, and, and I'll talk a little more about this in just a second, so I'll pin in that. Um, the first time I wore a helmet, I was wearing a salad. And I was, I was carrying a poleaxe, and I set it down in front of myself and did the you shall not pass posture because I'm such a badass. And I realized in that fleeting moment I couldn't see my hands at all. It was a thin strip of reality, and the further out away it was, the more I saw, the closer to me it got, the less I saw. And I had that slight, like, oh, crap moment. And so when you are fighting, weapons will get discarded. They'll get caught on stuff. Bits of you may fall off. A piece of armor may snap and fall off, and you can't feel that. You don't know. Um, Something external may happen. You can't see it. It's not in your sensory perception, and there's nothing you can do about that. So when the weapons get discarded, it's then these guys, and you can see these in the plates, like the weapons are just around. You may trip over it. You may trip over yourself. You may trip over a rock that you didn't see. It's a lot of things to consider, and there is no good answer in regards to that. It's just time and experience and trying to train yourself in as level ground as possible. And generally when it comes to, you know, actively ditching a weapon in, like, our stuff, you know, we're doing blasts, you try to throw it away from yourself or somewhere where it won't get in, in the way. Armor, you don't have that tactile ability. You can't actively discard a weapon, and if you do, you know, then you're putting the audience at risk. Because again, you don't know where they are. It's like, I'll throw this weapon away to be safe. I've impaled the director. Um, <laughs> you just can't risk that. And, you know, Jacob and, and Jarrett can both attest to funny or, or strange moments where weapons go haywire and you don't know where they went. Um, we were doing, uh, we were doing armor. It was a lighter day, but we, uh, we said, okay, we're going to start doing, we need to start doing some spear. And, uh, there's a drill called, yeah, he's already laughing. He's a, there's a drill called sumo, mm-hmm. um, where you kind of like sumo wrestlers and you just go at each other. And, uh, you know, the idea is you're going to come to grips and push each other around, you know, with your spears. And uh, so we, we line up and, you know, we do, what is it called? It's the, called a, um, a tachiai. Okay. They, yep. You know, the shout and everything. And the range of spears, we brush at each other. So I've got like the real nice, you know, purple heart, uh, hickory staff. And then he's got a shower. What is it? A, a dowel? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a dowel of Home in. Depot converted into a spear. Because I was like, oh, there's no problems yeah. with and this. He, it's lasting yeah, I mean, this long. He goes right. I mean, he leaves because he's a fast dude, right? He leaves right at me. And we're just, yeah. And it just snaps. It's, it went so clean. And yeah. Right. right along the, because uh, it was. It was yeah. a compound. It was a couple different kinds of wood put together and just popped in my hand. Yeah. So we ended up just doing regular shit. Exactly. I mean, the, things like that will happen. And that's not actually that uncommon. I mean, obviously, I should have expected that. And the fact that I didn't really is a test of things. But the good news is all the sharp bits were immediately pointed toward me. Um, you know, good teacher. I, I understand that I'm stabbing myself. But, you know, accidents happen. Spear tips fall off and become real spears. Um, you know, axes break all the time. 
uh, swords will break or twist or get a set all the time. Daggers will, um, daggers are just daggers, honestly. They do all sorts of weird things. They're an enemy of their own. Um, and so in regards, you know, like where the weapons go, mostly that is out of your hands. If you're talking like earnest play, if you're talking drill, carry what you need, you know? And if in the event that it has been discarded, no big deal, let's reset and get back to what we're working on. Um, cause you know, sometimes you just mess up and it just falls out of your hand. No Absolutely. lie. I mean, gauntlets are hard to grab things in. I have a uh, boss. <laughs> exactly. You know, if we can drop our swords in Spez heavies, we can drop our swords in gauntlets, you know? Go, go, Hema. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, carry what you need. Use what you're intending to use. And then, you know, like, for example, uh, uh, Jared, you wouldn't have gotten to experience this a whole lot. Um, but Jacob and I, like I said, we'll just pull our daggers on each other and stab during, especially the game, don't get stabbed. Um, and when you pull that dagger, you're not going to have the tactile ability to neatly put it back into your belt anymore. It's like, well, I pulled it. I'm either going to keep holding on to this so I can use it later in the drill or cast it away, but you've now lost a a big part of it. And that matters when you start doing either melees where you're carrying a sidearm or some armor events where you carry multiple weapons on yourself, which you've done, Jarrett. You've done that in melee context. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while trying to remember, you know, when you're wearing multiple weapons, the reason that you're holding the weapon you're holding is that it's your favorite weapon and you want to keep using it. So if I'm holding my spear, like, yes, this is, this is the, my favorite weapon and I'm going to continue using this, but there will come a time where the spear is no longer optimal, where someone's too close or it's outlived its usefulness for one reason or another. And so, yeah, it, in the moment, you know, you trust the fact that somebody is standing near you watching you going, if this becomes unsafe, I'll stop it. Trust that guy, whoever he is, and you just throw your spear to the side. All right. You let it land where it lands. It's round. It'll probably roll. <laughs> and you just do the thing you're there to do, which is to train Hema. So you draw your sword, you get on with your business, and you don't worry about your spear anymore because it's outlived its usefulness. And, you know, it is what it is. That yeah. Point. And, you know, this is the staff that, and this is something as well to train on its own, you know, having a, a, always a third party um, being there. I mean, obviously you can't always have it like between me and Jacob when we train, obviously we don't have a third party, but it's the two of us. um, You know, when, when we do any sort of like real sparring, there's always someone that needs to be sitting out and watching because people in armor are toddlers. They are literally toddlers <laughs> in regards to their oh, ability to do things for yeah. themselves. They are toddlers. Yeah. And furthermore, they're kind of, they're kind of toddlers under duress. I mean, then this is good. No, seriously, this just sounds all sorts of weird, but, but um, like in regards to your armor, you've just fought, right? Everyone's been in that one fight in tournament or friendly sparring where you got your blood up for real. And you need to just get out of your gear. You need to put the sword away. You just need to go and be in quiet. Armor, you can't just do that. You need someone else to come over and get your stuff off of you, which the description I go with when I describe it to people is that it's like if you dive to the bottom of a pool and then you want to swim back up to the top. Yeah. Around about halfway, you start to feel the burn in your lungs and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And even no matter how strong of a swimmer you are, I think you still get this. It's, it's that, oh, God, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And if you get into that panic claustrophobic state, yeah. 
and and having a trained squire who knows exactly what he's coming over to deal with matters so much because an armor person and and all of us pretty much do this you know when we get to that point we'll just be like tapping the side of our helmets like ting 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 and that just means please come someone god get me out of this this mm-hmm. is exactly why you have to train yeah i have mean to. It, for safety as well i mean someone takes a bad fall we had that happen at um at long point when they did the armor deed uh someone fell over i can't remember his name someone fell over and nobody knew what it, how his helmet fit together uh-huh. i happened to be there and so i went over and I was like, okay, what's the problem? And like, we need to get his helmet off. And so his bever is what's hooked. And I was like, where's the button on your bever? He's like, I don't have one. I don't know why it's hooked on. I was like, okay, if we can't solve this, I'm cutting your bever off. Um, and that's the point is that you've got to have that, that you know, understanding of the armor has critically failed. We need to get you out of it. And the answer is always we're cutting the leather or we're cutting the strips. But you don't want that happening when it's like, hey, I'm a little warm. Can someone get me some lemonade? Um, you need someone who can come over and not require a 20-minute expose on, yes, I have a button and then a hook, and then you need to like lift it off. But don't lift it off straight up because then you'll take my nose off. Yeah, that's, that's scary. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you've brought up a couple events. Um, are, there, are there tournaments you aspire to go to as a, a, a club? I mean, I'll let you guys speak Honestly, on this first. Honestly, we have our own tournament that we aspire to run. Yeah. <laughs> when the world stops ending. Someday, someday when the gods smile upon us and that tournament happens, uh, the world will be beautiful and we'll all be happy. But uh, two, two and a half years running now, uh, you know, lightning has struck twice. And someday, someday we'll be allowed to have fun. Uh, I don't know beyond that. I don't think I've been dragged out to an armor event as much as I want to go to. I, mean, I know there's some down in You want to? I've been trying to drag... <sighs> <laughs> yes, well, yeah. Stuff happens. Stuff happens. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, like, armored event, like like, like Jared said, we're, we have, and this is the terrible name, but I'm still proud of it, Yeehaw is what I want to host, Huntsville Armored Weekend. Yeah. And how could I not? Make <laughs> uh, we were going to host it before COVID, and then, you know, world ended. Um, <laughs> I'm trying, so we might get the chance. That was, like, the first email I think I got from uh, RCH. Was we're having it then! Never mind. Yeah, I don't know what that, yeah. Oh, but, you know, I, yeah. I, wanted to, I wanted to make an event for what I wanted to experience, so I'll come back to that. We'll put a pin in that. Right. But in regards to, like, official events, obviously, the dream. The, the I have made it in the armor community is to be, you know, invited preferably, but to partake in the deed at WAW because that's 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 the sexy pageantry. That's the people that they don't go. Oh, no, 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 no. Turn your cameras off. You don't want to see this guy's armor. <laughs> um, that's that's the you you are you are the cock of the walk. You know, you've got there's a lot of pageantry involved and, and things like that. But don't let that be a turn off. Like, seriously. At first, I was like, this seems ridiculous. But then, you know, it's fun. It doesn't seem ridiculous. It seems expensive. So, yeah, <laughs> expense is definitely, it's yes. definitely a thing. But if there's one thing I've learned, it's that you can make ugly armor pretty if you just try hard enough. Um, you know, little, little details, you know. Number one, cleaning your mail. Number two, making sure your gambeson has not gained sentience. Okay. Um, but little, little things like that, you know, you just, you know, like the biggest thing I have, honestly, is, um, we have two logos for the school. We have our official logo, which of course is space themed because Rocket City. And then we have our heraldry, um, which was designed by one of our guys. 
and the, I, I, my, my lovely girlfriend who is patient with me and deals with all of my sword bullshit, she painted that on a, uh, an acrompt, a jousting shield for me. And it's super cool because I don't have a banner because I'm a cheap bastard. And the idea being is it's just the school logo, but just somebody carrying that is a ton of pageantry. It's a ton of like, oh yeah, wow, look at that, you know, wearing a lady's favor. I wear my lady's favor. A lot of other people do. And I'll tell you, you know, dude or not, a garter on a nicely made, you know, armor leg looks pretty good. Um, you know, little things, just tiny details, tiny things that you can add to it that, you know, there's a ton of historical examples. Just to add a little bit of flair, um, just a general united color scheme um, helps a ton. But, you know, going out to WW and being one of those people, being able to walk in the procession and be like, yeah, I'm important the same way you know, a knight would be important is a big deal. And then, of course, you're fighting the guys that wrote all the books that we're reading right yeah. now. Um, and they're kicking our asses, but it's, it's, it doesn't matter. It's not about winning. It's about going out and doing the fight. And that's a wonderful thing about these armor defenses that they have, in my opinion, one of my favorite scoring systems which is you're usually going to get about five fights, usually. Sometimes more if you're one of those crazy people. But at the end, either Squire's List or Knight's List, as, and that's that's meant to be like separation of you've either never done an armored event before or you, you don't have enough pieces to be knightworthy. Like both these guys would be in Squire's List. I'm actually still fighting in Squire's List because um, I don't have all of my armor together because I'm constantly changing it. Again, beg, borrow, steal. Um, but the idea being that after the event is done, the opposite team, because you're divided into two groups, the opposite team votes on who they thought the best on your team was. And then that is taken into consideration by the, the third parties of you know running the event, the people who have been there forever. And they elect the first amongst equals, the person who they believe showed the best attributes and those don't have to you don't have to be like i gotta be better, best on my team and then i'm in the running it could be anybody i mean first time i fought i got voted best on my team woo go me um but i was not first amongst equals i still aspire to that and that's the best thing about it is that it's not oh i won all my fights and i didn't win all my fights you know the guy who won first amongst equals didn't win all his fights it's the idea of everyone agrees beyond shadow of a doubt that guy showed what we want that guy was the first amongst equals. And you also get awards for other things. I have a medal for just being a good squire. Like someone was like, hey, you know, and literally that comes down to, hey, I held your lemonade while you drank it through a straw. Yeah. But, you know, just little little quality of life things. Because as you both can attest, like I said, helpless in armor. And those those little things go a very long way. Right. You know, if you want to weigh in on that. Yeah, it's been a long time since we've done outdoor armor stuff together. You kind of, you can't do much more than an hour or two during summer, frankly. <laughs> and so we have to take a long break when uh, the calendar is against us. But, you know, the last time we did this sort of stuff outdoors with a bunch of people, a bunch of people in armor, that's very quickly you realize, man, we invited our fighters out here. And they're all in armor. And there's like two people who aren't. And now, like, six people would like some water. <laughs> it's a bit of a scramble. It's like, man, I hope no one dies while I'm on my way to the group of armor. I especially hope no one dies. After yeah. the next person, you know, first person needs their water, too. But, uh, you know, it's half the fun of armor events is melee, right? Like, because that's the, the opportunity to line up shoulder to shoulder and just crash into each other. 
because you have all this armor that means that's pretty safe. Uh, and that's a wonderful thing, but it does mean that 10 people are going to kind of crash onto the ground exhausted after that, and they all would quite like some water very quickly. Um, so if, if you're thinking of running an event like this, uh, two squires per night, uh, ideally. That would be great. Bring out all your kids. Bring out the family members. Bring out anybody. Tell them they're there to take pictures. All right, that's how and you get them. Dupe them. <laughs> and then hand them water bottles and just say go. Go. And I'll hand them. Yeah, uh... Like on the hikes, um, that's why I bring, like, I go to the gas station and then I get protein bars, bars in bulk. I'm like, yep, here's water bottles. Yep. Here's protein bar. Yeah. He's not going to die, of, especially if he's wearing, like, mail. Yeah. He's not dying of hydration on my watch. Um, when we go to an event, I plan to get some kind of, you know, the big reusable plastic ones with the straw so I can just lift up your helmet. Drink. Yes. Yep. Um, drink more. Okay, we're good. In, in my opinion, like, the guy that exemplifies this the most, and I, I don't know if you guys have interviewed him before, but if you do get the chance, absolutely. Uh, Charles Lynn um, has really taken squiring, in my opinion, to, like, the next level. Like, I, I was like, wow, squiring is this big deal. And then I see Charles Lynn post on Facebook. I was like, wow, someone else thinks it's a big deal. But he can sew. Um, and so, you know, he, he I think he was he that coined the phrase, like, a knight is a crew service weapon. You know, there's two guys working on it. Um, and, and you know, they've been going around to events. I've been going around to events. You know, there's also, like, C7, like I, I've mentioned many times, because I will plug that event to, to, to death. Um, of course, MAW. And then there's also, like, little things, you know. There's there's occasional, like, the armored community as a whole, it, it's like if you've only ever done Longsword, you wouldn't know Rasp existed. Why would you know Rasp existed? You know, I didn't know Italian saber was a thing. Then I came to Rasp and was like, whoa, you know, in in defense of that, Rasp is kind of a companion event to Surfo. And so it's actually kind of plausible that you might know about Rasp, even if you've only done long swords. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not trying to disparage Rasp at all. Um, but like, it's, it's the wider world you never knew existed. You right. Know? Right. Absolutely. And, and armor is one of those that you yeah. probably definitely didn't yeah. know there was and, as many people. And you'll, thought. you'll forgive the armor community for being slightly exclusive because it's not like they're going to put out like a website and like, hey, sign up for a beginner's class. All you have to do is buy yourself a $2,000 harness. And you can join us out in the field somewhere where we're renting a tent from some guy. Do you like ticks? Um, so, oh, man. David ticks. Oh, my man. God. Yeah, so it may be hard do to I? find them at times, but uh, they're, they're out there somewhere. And usually what it'll be is, you know, someone who's like the head of one of the older school, the guys who wrote the books, yeah. who can do armor. It's just, you know, the opportunity to people who are willing to go into it. And so the armor community is almost kind of its own subset. And also deeply linked to the SCA in many occasions. And yeah. so that if you come from that side, you may have had more exposure with some of these people. Um, but, you know, once I discovered the armor world, I was like, why don't you guys have at least a website or just a web page or freaking a Discord server, or a Facebook group that just tells me where all these events are? Because you got to travel sometimes. And I'll gladly travel for armor because it's like going on campaign. It's fun. Yeah. Um but I that that kind of links me back to like I said, Yeehaw, wonderful name. Um, I wanted I wanted it to be the same thing that I brought for my guys, and you know maybe one day I'll get to actually do that. Um, the idea being that I think a lot of people in Hema are, especially amongst the longsword traditions, they they have you know they have the unarmored fencing, they have the dagger, they may have the wrestling, they may even have done pole arms or, or armored moves, but they haven't gotten the opportunity to actually wear armor or do armor context. And 
when you're looking at it from the outside, it's like, this is unaffordable. This is insane. You know, I, I, I'm not happy with where I am physically. I don't want any of that, you know. Um, but making an event where the idea is I'm going to invite all my all my HEMA friends over. And I'm going to also bring these people from the army community that normally would not meet these HEMA people because they don't go to the same events or in the same circles. I'm going to bring them together and split 50-50. You know, we do melees where everyone can play. We show a deed of arms so they can see it and aspire to it. We do um, we do a, a Blos tournament. Um, Jarrett here has made a wonderful rules. Well, he didn't make the rules. He, he made an app, which was awesome. Yeah. That's a whole conversation. That's that's his whole separate conversation. But some control, something but, yeah. bloss, which right. you know maybe these armor guys will enjoy because it's got a fun like kill kill death murder context. Um, but the idea was it was supposed to be an event that bridges the gap. And so when people went home, they're like, you know, you know, buy a breastplate. You know, yeah. you you want to do it? You want to yeah. do it? Yeah, let's go do it. Um, and so hopefully I can make that happen. And I I also hope that I'm not the only one that does it. I hope other people you know spring up and do yeah. it and. Maybe if, you know, every school in the Southeast or in the East Coast or in America just had like three or four groups where it's like, you know, three pairs of dudes who are like, yeah, we do armor yeah. within it, like a study group. That'll go so far. Yeah. It's a lot more and, people. And even if it's just a, one or two events per year where it's this cool, special thing, that's still more than nothing, right? Like I've heard of, I can't remember, maybe it's a Montana somewhere where this, these guys found a ranch. Of horse trainers willing to, you know, allow HEMA oh, to yeah, ride the horse on horseback yeah. and do a little bit of fencing on horseback for a weekend. That just like this life-changing experience because it makes so many things make sense. Well, farmers the same way. If you don't want to buy a breastplate, if you just think it's prohibitive, if you can just try it for a weekend, it will honestly change your perspective on a lot of aspects of the fencing you already do. And if there are more events that provide that weekend to people, that's only a good thing. You can, um, I think, you know, just, just a gambeson, hundred bucks, pair of gauntlets, you know, you probably get a decent pair for like 50 bucks, 70. I mean, even just use your spouse heavies. I mean, everyone okay. complains yeah, that they're not mobile enough as it is. Just yeah. throw those on. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's the um, breastplate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Breastplate and those range. Um, I think everything I've got so far has been off Celtic Athena. Yeah. 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 You pretty much got everything off of that. So, you know, I, I call it munitions grade harness. That first level right. you get into, yeah. And then when you don't want to wear it anymore, you can either afford better pieces, or like me, you got stabbed in the dick six times in a day. You decide to, you know, pass that on to your squire, and your squire's like, "Yay!" And you're like, "Oh, yeah. thank God." <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, few hundred. So probably cost of like a, a feather. Yeah. Um. Mm -hmm. You can get into it, yeah. and you get um, one other guy into it. And now you've got a community. Yeah. Uh, right. But uh. Three rules I would keep too is one, yeah, the buddy system. Yeah. Yeah, that really, I think, has worked better than uh, groups would have. Uh, two, don't be stupid. Yep. Um, B, you always have clear boundaries, but okay, this is what we're going to do. This is how long we're going to do it. Um, and three, hydrate. Yeah. Hydrate. Oh, and yeah, have your carbs beforehand. <laughs> and know that it makes a difference. That is something to tack on to it. Um, an important thing that I want to differentiate when I, you know, I say Squire and Ritter, and, and some viewers may be from, like, the SCA or, or other organizations that have, like, actual ranks that have heraldic titles to them. Um, I, I do treat it like a crew service weapon, and I encourage my guys to treat it. I, as the Ritter, cannot exist without my Squire. And so I, I think it's more like training buddies in regards to, you know, if, if we're going hard, I'm in the more armor. But, you know, 
I don't necessarily always call the shots. I don't necessarily always do these things. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the special one. It's, is he getting his training? Does he think he can push? Does he want to push? And there's no rank there at all. It's just whatever level of armor you are. And that communication and that understanding, especially when it comes to what is essentially like voluntary helplessness of being in armor is super important. And I just, I just wanted to clarify that because, you know, it, it sounds intimidating. It sounds like more pageantry that sounds expensive and complicated, but it's really not. It's just nerds with swords as we always are. Another, uh, another thing, cause a lot is like, we're from Alabama. Yeah. So we trained in the heat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the thing I've, things that I have noticed is that, uh, a relatively lightly armored, fairly easy day in the heat is probably tougher than a, like a more armored up, more active, uh, day on a cool, on a cooler day. Yeah. More active, uh, sparring. Um, it just, the heat makes so much of a difference. Uh, just wearing the armor, it's just all, all on you. You know, think about like fencing outside, you know, just in your regular gloss uniform and just multiply that. So the, the heat really does make it big. And so that's, that goes back to the, don't be stupid. Yeah. Um, if it's a hundred degrees out, don't train outside. Let it don't go. Even, yeah. Have a technique There's, day. Just yeah. talk about techniques, something along those lines. Cause you get as, as much out of that as anything mm-hmm. else. I mean, like I said, Jarrett here um, did when we were going over just melee stuff, and that's mostly just applying the things you learn in normal lessons to all of a sudden there are three people standing in front of you. Mm-hmm. And you could just have a great day pontificating on that. Yeah, yeah and it doesn't even require armor at that point, because if you're in a one-on-three situation, well, you know, you don't need to have that much armor on. You're already working pretty hard, because, you know people that's a lot of people to fend off for a while you're gonna win yourself pretty quickly and probably you're gonna have a lot to talk about after doing that so you don't you can do that indoors you don't even have to do that kind of drill in armor there's a lot of stuff you can do on days that would otherwise be prohibitive through practice well we're about to land this plane is there anything you want to say right before we you guys go first if you got anything uh if you want to do it do it yeah uh, yeah it's doable um, just be deliberate, you know, have a, uh, have a plan, um, and do it every week or do something every week, have a buddy, hydrate, uh, don't be stupid. As a compliment to that answer, if you don't want to do it, try it anyway. Okay. This is not this. I don't want to be this elitist. I apologize, but I almost want to say this is not like an optional aspect of humor. Or like, if you have an opportunity to try armor, the amount of a difference that it will make to the rest of your appreciation of the stuff you're doing, of the techniques you're already using, of honestly the wrestling aspect of it, the use of the dagger and other weapons is just enormous. And it's a perspective that you only get a little glimpse of from the outside. As soon as you put on even just a breastplate, you start thinking very differently about what a sword can do. As soon as you armor up all the way, you start thinking very differently about what a sword can do. And that sticks with you when you take the armor. It really does. Um, so if you have even a shadow of a chance to put on a little bit of armor, take it, whether you think you're going to enjoy it or not. I would say for my final commentary is, is definitely don't be afraid to reach out into the armored world. Um, 
I, I like to think of myself as the best living proof of what I one day hope everyone gets to be. I didn't do armor originally. I got the opportunity. I seized it and I'm still running with it. And I wouldn't have gotten there if I hadn't gotten to meet awesome people like Jess Finley and Bob Charette and Reese and Ben and so many others. And Stan Roberts, of course, who just, they, they want to share it as much as we do. They, they're the exact same people. And don't be afraid to reach out in the world because you're not going to be rebuffed. You're going to be accepted wholeheartedly, no matter what level of gear you're at, no matter what your, your long-term interest is. And really, it's, it's the same as any tradition we're trying to revive. We want armor to keep going. I want armor to keep going. They want armor to keep going. And I would love for you all to be a part of that. Awesome. Johan, will you sign us off? Can we, can we get a yee-haw? Yee-haw! Yee-haw! <laughs> all right. Balls, balls, balls. This is all I'm going to This episode of Swords and Stereo was produced by Final Plank Media Productions. Theme song for Swords and Stereo is Thunderer by Professor Agma. Check him out too. To find out more about Bold City Longsword, visit their website at jacksonvillehema.com. To find more Final Plank Media produced podcasts, visit finalplank.com or visit us at Final Plank on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Thank you.